BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is the Tribune Audio Network. It was surreal. Um, she was a beautiful little baby and um, we didn't have any information and it was just kind of figuring out where to start. And it was a little, it was difficult because we wanted to find some permanence for her. We just didn't have any answers at the time. Some of the most memorable stories take us on an emotional journey. And this abandoned baby was doing that. Her story was appalling, yet amazing. It's like, wow, that child, what that child survived. And there was even a sense of empathy. To think, what kind of parent would do this? What, what situation were they in where this became their option? You know, it seems so terrible, but you don't know the backstory. From the Tribune Audio Network, I'm Fox 8's Natalie Wilson, and this is What Happened to Baby Doe. For most people, the day starts with a routine. The alarm clock goes off, you turn on the TV to see what's happening in the world. Fox 8's Lindsay Tubin is live outside the Randolph County Sheriff's Office. Good morning, Lindsay. Good morning, Tracy. Take a shower, get dressed, grab a bite to eat, and then head out the door. Some days we leave right when we plan to. Other days we don't. Sometimes we stay home to give ourselves a break. Knowing what she knows now, Tony McNair is thankful she had a routine that day. It was nobody but God. I think God was working that morning because I could have been off. I could have been off. It was nobody but God. Nobody but God that I was working that morning. She was reassured knowing that her sons Willie and Ricky answered her call for help and that first responders were taking care of the abandoned baby left outside their door. You know, I went on and went to work because, you know, Ricky, he sat there with her, you know, when I went, I went on because I worked in the emergency room at Wesley Long. She had to be there at 7 a.m. Wesley Long is another hospital in Greensboro, North Carolina. It's part of Cone Health, the same health care system that operates women's hospital where the baby was taken. I was curious to know if Tony said anything once she got to work. I would certainly think that out of all people would share around the water cooler that day, rescuing a baby would be the most eventful. I know when I got to work then, you know, couldn't anything have been said because, you know, risk management. Tony knew all about privacy laws and was concerned about what would happen if she said too much. She thought it best to keep quiet. But that wouldn't put a lid on the constant noise outside her apartment building. All day long, out there all day long. Yeah, when we came home, it was like reporters everywhere. Mm -hmm. I got work and I was like, oh, what is the world going on? Mm -hmm. And, you know, mom was like, come on in, we're going to be to ourselves, and babies got taken care of. 
we watched the news, and so it was like reporters. Everybody was like outside the house, <laughs> yeah, and wanted to talk to her, talk, walk, talk to us. But risk management, I couldn't. Reporters wouldn't get that part of the story. But at the very least, they would get law enforcement's message across. Now, the baby is recovering at Women's Hospital, and police want to know who left it outside. Detective Ruth Hines was trying to find who abandoned the baby. Yeah, I'll pull that for you. And figure out what happened across the nine months leading up to November 12, 1999. We did use, you know, the media to get the word out and hoped that perhaps somebody would, would remember something or have seen something or thought something didn't look quite right. I believe we've, we've had a few calls, but nothing panned out. Investigators canvassed the neighborhood and even checked local hospitals to see if someone showed up with signs that she may have given birth. Did you have any leads, like any concrete leads at the time? Absolutely not. All we had was that she was left there at that particular house. Detective Hines was suspicious. Like I said, most of them came to my job. They went to Ricky's school. They went to my brother's school. Wow, and who were these people? Um, no social services, police. And he remember, he said he remember, um, some of his friends said, Ricky, what do you do? They called him, to, you know, came to this classroom to get in, what did Ricky do, what did Ricky do? Willie remembers them letting him know that the baby was fine. But they also had some questions. Did I have anybody pregnant? Did um, I know anything about any neighbors around there? Um, different things like that. Like, have I seen anything with somebody being pregnant or different things like that? My brother, did he have anybody pregnant that would do something like this? Because I'm pretty sure a lot of people thought it was like my son's, you know, baby or whatever. Adolescent boys, maybe they were involved with a girl who was pregnant. It wasn't a far-fetched scenario. And there was one detail in Willie's life that could have easily led to assumptions. But at the time, I was, I had a child that was due. And so I know I told them, like, my sons, any of the girls would not do that because they know how I am about children and I would have taken the baby. I knew my child wasn't born. Like, she was due in May, so I, like, I know that she would not did it to me. So, but yeah. I was just thinking, like, who could have did this? Eventually, investigators would determine that neither Willie nor Ricky had anything to do with the criminal aspect of this case. If you look back on it, maybe, you know, we, we talked to him a little too much. I don't know. But that's all we had. So what was the connection? Why did someone leave the baby outside their door? The only thing I thought about was the person probably been watching us. And my mom was a nurse. And they probably said, well, she's a nurse. She knows what to do with the baby. Tony believes there's more to it than that. So she could have been placed in a dumpster. You know, because the dumpster was right there, right outside where we stayed at. But I think God knew. God had a plan. At this point, it was clear that the Greensboro Police Department was not making progress finding baby Caroline's biological family. I know I had this case open for a few months, hoping that I would get some, some leads on it. And once we've exhausted the initial findings, we had nothing, and nobody was talking. 
Nobody was calling saying, hey, you know, I saw so-and-so pregnant, and now they're not. And so the baby was turned over to um, Guilford County DSS at the time to ensure its safety and, and health and continued growth and well-being. It was now up to social services and Cedillo Tene Lloyd to find Caroline a loving home and give her a sense of stability. She and her colleagues would have to figure out what to put on her birth certificate and other important documents. When she came to us, it what they were calling her Caroline, but it was Baby Doe on the record. Yeah. And um, my supervisor and some of our peers, we were, and actually I believe the initial foster parent helped us come up with the name um, Angel. Some remember the apartments where Angel was found as Carolina Circle Apartments, which is what the current leasing office told us it was called in 1999. We believe the nurses named her Caroline for that reason or because she was found in an area not far from Carolina Circle Mall. Of the infant found at Hunter's Glen Apartments. But our previous reports from this time referred to the complex as Hunter's Glen Apartments. That's where the last name came from. And then Angel and her middle name was Hope. We had so much hope for her and her future and that just seemed to make sense and she was an absolute beautiful angel. So the name just kinda came about based on what we saw of her. Angel Hope Hunter. As it turns out, the family who rescued the baby also gave her a name. And my youngest son, Ricky, named Angel because he felt God sent him to us and him a little sister and he wanted to call her Angel. And he called her Angel. A detail Cedillo didn't know until we told her. No. You did not know? No. Perhaps it was a sign that it was meant to be. Cedillo, who was Angel's foster care social worker, was hopeful this little girl would be placed with the right adoptive family. We were able to review some of the profiles and we had uh, a recommendation from our licensing area letting us know that there was a family interested in having her. Oh, this is so nice. How have you been? Good. I'm doing well. Thank you for doing this. Carrie and Daryl Thomas would be exactly what they were looking for. I was a uh, foster parent at the time, and my social worker called me and asked me if I saw the story on TV, and I told her yes. She said, well, you know, we would like to put this baby in a home where the parents are willing to adopt her. And I said, okay, I, I would take her, but at that time, uh, my daughter was 12 years old, and I was like, I'm not adopting anybody. But once I held the angel in my arms, I knew she would never leave my house. I got off work, and she said she's back on the bed. And I walked around there and I saw her on the bed and I picked her up and I was like, it's a done deal. We didn't, we didn't have to say anything to each other. I ended up handled the, handling the adoption. That was my first adoption I'd ever done. Um, and this was one I was glad to do. Uh, I wanted to see the process through since I was her foster care social worker. So I was able to complete the paperwork and do that with the Thomases. And, and the process was smooth and they were wonderful. At this point, her middle name would change to Faith and her last name to Thomas. But her parents kept the name Angel. I thought that was the best fit for her because I do feel, feel like angels 
were watching over her that day. The Thomases now had another daughter who would add so much joy to their lives. Oh my goodness, yeah. They were so loving. They were so warm and welcoming, and they were so happy to have her. She was just the perfect, uh, the perfect piece to their family. She was truly a blessing to us because I had uh, been pregnant in my tubes twice, and I had a miscarriage. So because of health reasons, I had to have a hysterectomy. So we couldn't have any more kids anyway. So she was truly a blessing for us. So you wanted to have more children? Well, we tried. Yeah, we tried. It just didn't happen, but it didn't happen because God had one for us. Detective Hines received word that Angel was finally going home. The DSS worker that was assigned to the case indicated that they were there, and, and I, I, I came in and I met them. I shook their hands and, and, and thanked them for what they were doing. And even though she didn't crack the case as she had hoped, Angel's parents made sure she always had something to hold on to. I was in her office when she pulled out a picture from a box that was sitting in the corner. She handed it to me. I know. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. She was wearing a little red dress and um, she's just a happy little baby. It was one of Angel's first pictures. It looks like this may have been taken around Christmas. You can see Christmas lights and ornaments creating a festive gold and red hue in the background. Meeting the family gave Detective Hines a sense of peace. It did, it did. I knew that no matter what the outcome of the case was, this, this, this baby is gonna be okay. She's gonna be okay. And that's why she has kept that picture after all these years. It's not in uh, evidence box. It's, it's in the box that I keep things that I want to remember that are, are positive and that had a positive ending. By this time, the TV cameras were long gone and the abandoned baby's story started to fade out of the public eye. Then it was kind of like radio silence because you have to give that child the privacy. I remember people asking and wanting to know more, but also knowing that, you know, there wasn't a whole lot more to the story at that point. Carrie and Daryl quietly raised their little girl, making memories, watching her grow up before their eyes. But for the people who had connected with that baby, even for a brief moment in time, one question always stayed on their minds. But we always wondered. We always wondered. I always came off. I can remember the day, from, and I'm 57, and I always wondered where she was. Like, what happened to Angel? Like, we used to be like, what happened? what happened to her? I mean, I was concerned and thought about her a lot afterwards. Eventually, Angel's story would be back in the spotlight. I mean, I'll be honest, she fell apart when she found out everything. I was ashamed of it at first, because here you had kids who came from their family and they knew everything, and I didn't have that growing up. Angel finally learns who left her under a stairwell in the bitter cold on the next episode of What Happened to Baby Doe. There are thousands of wonderful children who are yearning for a house they can call home.
They want the warmth of parents who will give them the unconditional love and support they need. If you have room in your home and your heart to change a child's life for the better, contact your local or regional adoption agency. The Thomas family is a great example of how it can be a blessing for everyone. If you like the podcast, make sure to subscribe and give us a five-star review. It really helps get the word out. You can also watch video to go along with the stories. You can find our TV series, What Happened to Baby Doe, online at myfox8.com. What Happened to Baby Doe was written and produced by me, Natalie Wilson. Edited and co-produced by Matt Jensen. Vinnie Bocanfuso helped too with our interviews. Our executive producer is Derek Stetzler. This has been a production of the Tribune Audio Network.